Rockheads, this is Carl with an update on Music to Code By. On January 4th, 2016, I released the 11th Music to Code By track, Gold. That's right, there are now 11 25-minute tracks, including the original three. And you can download them all in one big zip file for less than 50 bucks at mtcb.pwop.com. Net Rocks, episode 1246, with guests Anthony Vanderhorn and Nick Molnar. Recorded Friday, December 18th, 2015. And then it was time for .NET Rocks. <laughs> What's up, my friend? And then the guy hits himself in the head with a shovel. <laughs> I like starting a show with and. And, it's nice. yes. It's better than so. This is .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Campbell. You should know us by now, but if, you're, if this is new to you, welcome. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, you got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> We're going. We're doing the thing. We're just going. You just showed up now, 1,246 episodes in. Where you been? Where have you been? <laughs> We've been here. Come we've on. You here never, for you never a call. while. You never write. <laughs> you never call. <laughs> you never listen. All right. You don't listen to a word I say. What? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I got a better know framework that's pretty weird. I love it. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, you know, it's not really weird. The, the What I have isn't weird, but he talks about weird things. Okay. This is a blog post by Minko Geshev. Well, that's an awesome name for starters. Yeah, from 2013. And I, I called it out because it's a good post and it doesn't have a lot of comments, which tells me that maybe not a lot of people have seen it. I don't know, though. But it's called JavaScript, The Weird Parts. which is a sort of a take on doug crockford's you know the good parts right goodness knows there's some weird parts so if you go to weirdjs.pwop.me you can see this and and essentially what he talks about is all the weirdness in javascript that you may or may not know about and you know if you've been programming javascript for a while there's a good chance that you've come across some of these things but um and you know there's the sort of type of null and equals not always equal and all that weird stuff but immediately invoked function expressions you can Uh-oh. do these seven different ways and they're correct <laughs> well are they function anyway <laughs> yeah they work you know and so just some very strange things the only thing i have to say about this post is that the contrast is low Right. So it's kind of hard to read, but yeah, the code um, one is a little tough to read. Yeah, the code windows are a little tough to read, but but it's still good and it and it's worth reading through. It's a short post, but uh I I really liked it. I enjoyed the heck out of it and I wanted to call him out and give him some uh bingo love. <sighs> yeah, you know this reminds me of Gary Bernhardt's Watt video. Yeah. Right. Yeah, maybe I'll include a link to that as well because it's ridiculous. Yep ridiculous well that's what i got today richard so who's talking to us the watt video oh boy i'll get smarter from that uh (laughs) 
grabbed a comment on show 1171 that we did when we did with Anthony and Nick when we talked about Glimpse. This is when they'd first joined Microsoft. So yeah. this is uh, actually it's only earlier in 2015, right? right in right. in mid 2015, we had this conversation. And we, of course, we dug into a lot of different Glimpse is an instrumentation package. We, we, if you go look at the link stack that we had in that show, like it's oh, just yeah. a, a shopping list of things you should be using to make your website better. And, and Drew Helms added this other additional comments a few months ago. He says, thanks for discussing the IIS URL rewriter. I've been using URL rewrite not only to make websites HTTPS only, right? Rewriting from HTTP to HTTPS, but also to add HSTS headers and remove server signatures. Which is yeah. a sort of security strategy, right? If you don't actually know what kind of web server guy's calling, it's an extra ju- bunch of hoops to jump through to hack at it with a handy PowerShell script. I've also used tools like IIS Crypto, which I'll include the link to. It's free tools to help harden the servers and so forth. And in the end, what he ended up doing is putting together a blog post called Easy IIS Hardening. Hmm. So it's basically a set of scripts you can download from that will just do all of the settings on IIS all the way up to to, to 2012 R2 wow. to lock it down properly, set up SSL correctly, like just tie it all down. It's all on GitHub and stuff. And I just same thing as you, man. Like you need to know about this. This is a great post for just ammunition to uh, get your web server set up correctly. Yeah, you know, they, it's not a small thing. There's a lot of steps involved in that. And so, and plus, he's a barbecue guy, right? His, his banner <laughs> picture on his blog. Is it looks like a a, a pork roast, you know? Uh, so you know, I I hate to I hate to interrupt, but man, I went to Daddy Jack's, which is where my <laughs> band plays last night yes. for dinner, and I I he, he had there was a special pork chop with German cabbage, right? I'm a sucker uh, for it. That's one of your favorites. I'm a sucker for it. Let me tell you, this was the best pork chop I've ever. It was like ham. It was smoked. And and I asked him afterwards, you know, wh- how did this get so tender and smoky and good? He says it comes from a farm in Vermont where oh, yeah. they, they, they raise their animals and slaughter them there and smoke the meat, uh, over cobwood and then send them to local New England, uh, restaurants and stuff and talk about, I mean, I just thought that was great. And, uh, pork, smoke, wonderful. All right. So ahead. not just tasty, but local too. Local and probably the best pork chop I've ever eaten. Unbelievable. All right. I love it. Enough of that. Continue. So, uh, Drew, thanks so much for your comment. And thanks for this great blog post. I'm including it in the show notes. If you have to secure an IIS server, you need this set of tools. And maybe even contribute to it on GitHub because it is an open source project for protecting servers effectively. And uh, and I think it's a big pile of awesome. So, uh, a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of the social medias because we post every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there, we'll send you a mug. And of course, you can tweet us. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Do tweet us. We love tweets. We eat them for breakfast. And that brings us to uh, Anthony and Nick. Anthony Vanderhorn is co-founder of Glimpse. He works at Microsoft and is a regular speaker on such topics as open source, web practices, and diagnostics for the web. Anthony has been specializing in web and front-end development with technologies such as JavaScript, CSS, and HTML. He has bounced between living and working in New York City and is home of Brisbane, Australia. He's back in the USA at the moment and also grows his own food. Mm-hmm. As I learned in, uh, where were we? Las Vegas, I think it was. Yeah, nothing better than homegrown food. Oh, my, my. 
Well, you would really have appreciated this pork chop, let me tell you. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to convince my wife to let us have pigs uh, in the forest that we have here. Uh, I haven't made any luck yet. They're just so tasty. And if you can get them to eat acorns, even better. Well, that's the thing. We've got nut trees, so. Yeah, but but keeping pigs is another thing entirely, right? That, that's an awful lot of mass to deal with. Well, let me introduce Nick. Nick Molnar lives in Austin, Texas, is a PM on Microsoft's cross-platform and open tooling team, and co-founder of Glimpse an open-source diagnostics and debugging tool, as we've already said. Originally from Homestead, Florida, Nick specializes in web development, web performance, web APIs, and community management. In his spare time, Nick can be found cooking up a storm in the kitchen, hanging with his wife, speaking at conferences, and working on other open-source projects. Hey, can can I just tell you about this pork chop that I ate, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to know how it was prepared. I don't care how it was grown. I want to know how it was cooked. It was... I don't know how it was cooked either, but it was like crispy brown on the outsides. And, and it was so tender and light in the middle. I just... Oh, my God. It's just pure heaven. Sounds delicious. You'll have to send me some. I will. Well, you know, you guys come down to uh, New London. We'll have we'll take you out. Done. I dug out the blog post from July of 2015 of the Glimpse team joining Microsoft. So it's been six months. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're doing well. It's been a lot of fun. It's it's interesting to be on the other side of of the blue badge and right get to show up in Redmond and have like access to buildings and not need to beg for people to let us in. Uh, but Microsoft is treating us well and things with Glimpse are going, uh, going quite swimmingly. We, we released beta one of a V2 at Connect. Uh, actually, Mr. Hanselman did his keynote up on the stage in New York City and, and showed off some of our, uh, our new UI real quick. And, uh, we were off to the races from there. Mm-hmm. So this is V2. You've made the big jump to a, a totally new version. Is it really a rewrite? Uh, yeah, pretty much across the board. Um, I don't think there's too much that's the same code from V1 to V2. Wow. Um, it turns out you learn a lot of lessons uh, trying to build debugging and diagnostic software as you go along. Mm. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and so just even like the pl- ways that people want to deploy this stuff, um, you know, down to different ways of gathering the metrics to, you know, hey, people want this on more than just .NET. So right. how do we deal with that? Yeah, the integration story's got to be pretty awesome for you guys. Yeah, totally. You had four years of V1, roughly. Yep, that's it. So you get this chance to sort of step back and say, so if you're going to do it again, what would you do? Exactly. And it turns out we, we had that discussion at Angle Brackets in Las Vegas. Ah. Uh, not, not this last one that we just had, but the one before. And uh, what we were originally trying to do was um, rewrite or extend, I should say, V1 uh, to work on ASP.NET 5 and OWIN and system.web and, you know, all these different, uh, combinations of, um, frameworks that we ended up with in .NET. Um, and it was just like, this is really hard. Um, and our heads were just hurting too much. And so we thought, well, you know, what if we took a step back and said, Hey, look, if we could just rewrite this today from scratch, you know, for ASP.NET 5, what would it look like? Uh, mm. Keeping an eye on the fact that you know we'll probably we'll want to backport it to .NET four five uh, eventually. But ASP.NET v five runs on all the platforms, so you immediately you cross platform supports a requirement. Yeah, exactly. And so from there, we're able to 
um, you know, have that fresh look at what we were doing and be able to say, okay, well, what does that architecture look like? And giving us, giving ourselves the permission to do that, um, really impacted the architecture, uh, given the last, you know, four years worth of insights that we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, and turns out that ASP.NET 5 was, uh, young enough in its infancy, um, that we've actually been able to affect the design and architecture, um, of ASP.NET 5. So we could actually get richer diagnostics out of the system. So it's been a pretty wild ride. Did that rewrite, uh, preserve all of the extensibility? And the, the, you know, I'm, I'm looking at uh, extensions, the extensions page on getglimpse.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> I mean, you guys are everywhere. 77. Yeah. So unfortunately, it's, it's, it, those plugins aren't just going to work. Like you can't just take the same nougat package and it run on V next. Um, part of that is fundamentally, um, in, uh, .NET 4.5 or 4x, um, system.web has HTTP context, uh, and that HTTP context doesn't exist in the vNext world. Um, that said, one of the things that we do have is an adapter between the two, um, but um, those plugin authors will need to make a minor modification to sw- switch across. But it should just be a matter of a recompile. Um, nice. At that level of abstraction, most of what those plugins are using uh, should just work in the new world fairly easily. Good. So it's there's a little bit of pain for extenders and integrators, but not bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not bad. And they're going to find themselves in that boat for a lot of tools that you know they've supported with ASP.NET over the years. Yeah, a lot of the libraries and frameworks that are out there targeting ASP.NET are going through the pain of making the changes and making sure that they're compatible. Well, a with the new world, and it's another exercise entirely to be compatible with both the new world and the old world at the same time. So I guess it must feel pretty good to know it's not your fault. (laughs) (laughs) It's always nice to be able to point the finger. (laughs) I blame Scott Guthrie. (laughs) I did not say that, Scott, my new boss. Oh, all right. Well, anyway, and, and how's it going with uh, extensions and partners? Is uh, is everything falling into place nicely? Are there gotchas? So far, things have been going pretty well. Everybody that we've shown Glimpse to and the people who have downloaded the beta, we're getting all positive feedback. We've been a little cautious about telling people to start extending us right now. Okay. We, we kind of sit at a... <laughs> if, if people extended Glimpse, they'd be at the fourth layer of of unknown because not only is glimpse churning a lot right now as we as we try to drive towards rtm but we're sitting on top of asp.net which is training a lot as it drives towards yeah, rtm sure. we're just sitting on top of a new .net framework which is training yeah, core a lot clr yeah yeah exactly so i mean it's it's pretty common for anthony and i uh, to at least once a week to wake up have made no changes and be completely broken that's <laughs> the way it goes and that's just because we are on the bleeding edge and on the bleeding edge of the bleeding edge and so i i, I caution our our extension authors to you know unless you like being on the bleeding edge if you're a masochist then then yes please let's work together um otherwise maybe you want to slow it down if you like to bleed huh yeah, so we, we've strategically uh, done some extensions and worked with some people to make sure that the abstractions and that the APIs are going to be compatible, but we're not telling all, you know, 80 of our extension authors, go out and update your things right now. Let's let's make sure we have some stability there for them. That's not smart to do because it's just going to break. Exactly. And you've got 
I mean, the two versions are still relevant, right? The V1 clearly works. It hasn't taken a dependency on these unknown bits right now. So existing Glimpse users are fine. This stuff's very prototype right now. Like I said, you, you're you're not just bleeding edge of the bleeding edge. You're bleeding edge of the bleeding edge. You're of the bleeding balancing edge. on a ball that's on a knife that's on a ball that's on a knife. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, yeah, you're 100% right. So, Glimpse V1 is still relevant, still goes all the way back to like MVC2 support. Um, and that'll always be there. We're never going to remove those packages. Um, so, people can still use those and continue uh, on today. Um, and, you know, slowly as Core CLR stabilizes and ASP.NET stabilizes and then Glimpse's result stabilizes, um, I, I think a lot of people um, will be able to start adopting it en masse. But it's still important at this point to be getting feedback from real people too. So if people are doing ASP.NET development and, and want to check out our stuff, uh, as Nick said, we'd absolutely love the feedback. And, and I noticed you've moved it over to a prototype project. Like it's actually a separate project now too. Yeah. So we created a separate repo because we, you know, felt that this was different, a different enough thing, uh, to warrant its own, uh, repo. Because if you think about it, when we're making the decision, if V2 was a pull request or a branch mm. from V1, it should be able to merge in reasonably. Okay. There might be a lot of changes, but it should be able to go in. Whereas like V2, there's, as I said before, there's not one file that's kind of the same. Um, and so <laughs> given that, it was kind of like, okay, we, we're going to create this as a separate project. And as time goes by, once the prototype comes out of prototype, we'll archive the old repo. Um, and we actually have like a glimpse archive organization where we've, we've put old uh, repos that aren't uh, as relevant anymore. Yeah, and, and, it, and it sounds like it'll never leave here. It'll eventually not be a prototype anymore, but you, the V2 development is just very different. So Yes, and exactly. I, and I could see looking at the commit stream, you really did just start on this right after angle brackets in 2014. Exactly, exactly. And it was like, I remember standing outside the, the conference hall. Uh, there's like a little roundabout there where they've got like grass in the center. And I was talking to Nick and, you know, literally we're coming up with the architecture of like, what we'd want. And it was amazing doing that because till then we, we'd tried to put this whole bunch of constraints on us based on the V1 architecture. And it was like so liberating to be able to, you know, actually work through the problems that we had um, and look at them from a fresh direction. So very happy about the decision. No kidding. Yeah. Hey, Rockheads. As Richard and I travel the world for the Azure World Tour, we're telling people all about our dev-centric friends at Stackify. They've been awarded PC Magazine Editor's Choice for Application Performance Management, stating, and I quote, The depth of application information provided by Stackify totally outshine the other products in this category, end quote. Because Stackify so successfully integrates errors, logs, and metrics into a core APM Plus tool, it's a must-have for .NET developers, which is why PC Mag's Paul Farrell calls it one of the best infrastructure management services of 2015. Try Stackify now for free, and they'll ship you their coveted Developers Against Humanity card game. Just activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks to build better apps faster and get your free game. Yeah, there is there is a great luxury to it, but you've also built enough software that you you knew your bar to a V2 is a pretty high jump. Yeah, exactly. And we know that 
like even from a UI paradigm and the client side stuff um, is, is was a huge leap because we knew with V1 with Glimpse um, with the way the UI worked and the paradigms that were established and I guess you could even say like the design language uh, and the interaction uh, flow that we'd had there. And it, it wasn't perfect. You know, we, we've set a pretty high bar for ourselves of what we think the debugging and diagnostics experience can be in software development. Um, and, you know, we really wanted to have V2 be able to be a launching point for that. And the client is a huge part of that. Yeah. Well, and I think it, when I think of Glimpse, I think of that clever sort of slide up UI that just gives you mm-hmm. the information you need. Like that's, yeah. that's what it, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And I think if you take, if you think about, you know, where could that possibly go, um, in terms of, uh, the different types of information that we could show, the, the curation that we can bring to that experience, a lot of V1 inside of the tabs that we have in the main UI, it was an exercise of like, can we get access to the data and let's get that to the user? Whereas right. V2 is more like, well, we know we can get access to the data. How can we display this information so it actually matches the mental model that the developer has of what occurred uh, right. during this request? And, and admittedly, everything's very unstable right now, but is Glimpse taking a dependency on ASP.NET 5? Like, this is what this is for? So when we uh, first showed beta 1, to people it was actually at MVP summit. And mm-hmm. interestingly enough, everything that was shown at MVP summit is now available to watch on channel nine. So oh. it's really available for everybody. And in that session, I stood up on stage and said, Hey, for glimpse 2.0, we're targeting only ASP.NET five. Uh, if you would like to use an, uh, you know, system.web or something on an older version of, of .NET, that's fine. Use our old packages and they're still supported. We've since uh, softened on that stance a little bit. And so what we're planning to do is to support both ASP.NET 5 and the existing system.web world, at least back to .NET uh, 4-ish, uh, for our RTM release. And so okay. we've, we've done a bunch of exercises. So the beta that came out is ASP.NET 5 only. The work that we're doing right now is actually adding in support for system web style projects. Yeah, and I almost wonder if it's too soon. Like you, you want to wait till you're further down the path before you do this. But I, I appreciate that eventually V2 will support the stack that everybody's comfortable with. It's true. We, we were originally worried that it'd be too soon, but the farther we got down and the more and more different the code base looked, we were worried that we wouldn't actually be able to swing back around and add the support for the new architecture and the new client to system web. And so we're kind of forcing ourselves to make sure we're not going to have to make a breaking change. If we waited, it might be like two months and we're like, oh, oops, Glimpse 3.0, because now we made a breaking change to support right. system web. Yeah. And no we don't really want to do that. Exactly. So it's going to be a little bit more painful for us now and might take a little bit longer to RTM, but we'll be able to serve more users. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about making the user happy. Yeah, I'm with you. I just, you know, we have Glimpse 1. Yeah, everybody who's seen Glimpse 2 says we don't want Glimpse 1 anymore. We want Glimpse 2. <laughs> mm. This is what you get for making good products, guys. You're going to get punished for it every time. <laughs> give a master cookie, right? Well, can you give us some of the reasons? Well, so we, we've covered a couple of them, right? So cross-platform by default, the people in system web world don't necessarily care about that. Mm-hmm. I think the big two the big two that people in the system web world are caring about and the feedback we're hearing is, one, this curated uh, UI that Anthony mentioned where we've 
and and the kind of the old world we took the data we dumped it out if you knew what you were doing you were happy but maybe you were just trying to learn about performance or about routing or about model binding and it didn't help you out so much we're going to do a much better job walking the user through that and then the other is web farm support and uh, so right now glimpse runs in process of your app 100%, both the pieces that are instrumenting your app and gathering information and the pieces that are serving up the API endpoints that our client uses to show you that data. Well, that's great until you go into a scenario where you have multiple web front ends, uh, maybe like a pre-production environment or even in production. And so that's actually been our number one feature request for a long time before ASP.NET 5 even showed up on our, on our map mm. was to somehow be able to serve a a web farm scenario. And so we now support that as a beta one, we added support for that. You can uh, install uh, a little Azure website somewhere or host it. However you'd like to, you drop the glimpse.server package in there and you can configure your web front ends to point all to one glimpse. And so it's kind of a hub and spoke model where there's a server in the middle and there's agents pushing data into that server and there's clients reading data from that server. And so spread out your web front ends. And that's what everybody's saying. Like, oh, we've been waiting for that for a long time. We'd really, we'd really like to have that. So those are the three big pillars, the curated UI, the, the cross-platform kind of by default now, mm. and web farm support. This, um, when I think of Glimpse, I think of using it on a, on a website that people are browsing in. Uh, but do, you, do people use Glimpse with services as well? So what we're finding is that uh, a lot of people uh, are requesting, like, let's say, web API support, mm. which I, I guess inherently generally means that they're running services or at least web services. And so that's been a big factor in the V2 architecture as well, because as Nick said, we've got this agent server model now, which is this hub and spoke. Yeah. And so we can have agents pushing to the server. So there's nothing to say what technology those agents are written in or what frameworks they're built on top of. And so if you've got the Glimpse server, which accepts, you know, messages, okay, about that are going to show up in the UI eventually mm. uh, from various agents, as long as the agents know about the server endpoint or the Glimpse server endpoint and the message format that the server's expecting, anything can push to that. And so we're expecting not only are people going to be setting it up for ASP.NET 5 apps that are like uh, uh, front end focused as in they're serving up HTML sites and uh, pages and stuff like that, mm. but they'll also do it for uh, web front, uh, for service front ends as well. Yeah. Um, and those could be potentially written in any technology. So we've been talking mm. about like, well, you know, could we have a Node.js agent? You know, sure. what would that look like? Um, you know, even Java, for instance, and what would that look like? And so that's been a, a lot of the proving ground um, with Glimpse V2 uh, as, as we move along. Wow. Heck, it's got to be hard just to get good instrumentation out of all the different ways that you can build a, a normal web front end now, right? With between spas and MVC and server-side driven pages, like it may all be a page in the end, but how it was built and, and what's slow in it, that's very hard to figure out. Yeah, so it's really interesting. Um, so this is one of the really cool things that we got built into uh, Core CLI and uh, .NET vNext, I guess, um, is, is this uh, much richer instrumentation. So in Glimpse v1 world, how we get access to the information that... Um, uh, that is in the system is we literally proxy the sun. Okay. Pretty much we proxy everything. 
And so let's say you've got the view engine and you want to be able to know how long it took to render. Well, Glimpse goes in, proxies the view engine so that it can see the ins and outs of like the essentially the render method. Um, and we can set a timer when that gets called. And so like using a decorator pattern approach. Right. Uh, and we do that for a lot of different components. And even though that method works, we end up having to write a lot of code to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And it's fairly brittle because you're subject to the implementation. Yeah. I would think you care more about what browser you're running in than anything else. Yeah. And, um, and so one of the things that we've introduced in, in the new world is this thing called diagnostic source, um, which this does is on the back end. Um, but what it does is it means frameworks, when they have interesting diagnostics information, uh, right. they can publish that diagnostics information onto essentially a diagnostics uh, event bus. And so not only Glimpse can listen to that, anyone can listen to that. And so, for instance, ASP.NET MVC is publishing out a whole heap of these events. And so no longer do we need to do these proxies. We can just listen to these, you know, first-class citizen events. Entity Framework is starting to publish them. ADO will, hmm. Networking Stack, you know, all these different libraries will start publishing this information. So to be able to build rich tools, uh, uh, rich diagnostics tools, suddenly becomes a much easier prospect. And so we can start focusing more on like browser frameworks and stuff like this uh, instead of, you know, trying to maintain proxy code, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But we, I, mean, I mean, the stack you just listed there is all server side stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it'd be really interested if Node.js started pushing messages onto this uh, event hub as well. Yeah. So it's really interesting. We've, we've actually been having internal discussions about this exact point and looking to see like, okay, uh, if, if, if we as Glimpse, you know, approach the Node.js community and say, Hey, look, we're interested in doing uh, this style of rich debugging and diagnostics that Glimpse does for Node.js, um, what would that look like? Can we uh, introduce some hook points for that? Um, the problem is, is that in the .NET world, um, you know, we kind of control a lot of the stack. So we right. can create a new API, we can put that in, bake it in, and we can tell the MVC team use this, we can tell the EF team use this and everyone else internally to use it. And overnight, we, we have a lot of value out of the box. If we went ahead and said, okay, uh, no community here, we've developed this API, everyone use it, they'd, they'd probably laugh at us. Mm. And so the approach of how um, we will do what Glimpse does in, in a node world is going to be very different to what it is in .NET. And exactly how that looks, we don't know yet. Yeah, I guess the question is, could you build this as a sort of shim, a separate project from Node.js and from Glimpse that mm -hmm. pulls that diagnostic data and pumps it to the hub? Yeah, and that that's essentially what we're looking at at the moment is, okay, we'll probably have to use a proxy approach to start yeah. with to, in order to get the information and show the value to the community. Yeah. Um, and um, in JavaScript, that's a lot easier because it's a dynamic language. So sure. it's it's much easier uh, and performant to create proxies uh, than it is in a .NET world. Yeah, you have intercepts all over the place. It's not hard to, to, to intercept where you want to intercept. Exactly. And yeah. so we can do that. And that probably will be a separate package outside of Glimpse. Um, and then, you know, as we bring that community along on, on the ride, as it were, uh, using the proxy method, we can then start talking about, well, is there enough value here to start talking about um, unifying on some sort of API? And that might right. be one that already exists. You know, there might already be one that's a good candidate for this. 
um, or it might be something different. You know, that, that's all up for discussion at the moment. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, time to tell a joke. Why did the chicken four glass marbles with an orange flurry surreptitiously rusty brick? What kind of a joke is that? Uh, it's a surrealization. Sorry. <laughs> a surrealization? I love yeah. it. Well, the answer is because 99 is too many. <laughs> or the primary export of Denmark is fit kippers. <laughs> or I, a fish. For a fishy, fishy fish. <laughs> Uh, it's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to, you know, every time I pulled out the surreal card, the, the guests don't laugh. It's just the way <laughs> well. it goes. It's just, huh? We were being polite. Skype is actually showing a big question mark over your heads right now. So. <laughs> I couldn't find my sad trombone sound effects soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a Telerik DevCraft collection. We got to give one of those away. But first, uh, do you know Swift, Objective-C, and Java? Can you use them in tools like Xcode and Android Studio? If so, awesome. For everyone else, there's NativeScript, a cross-platform framework for building native iOS and Android apps using skills you already have. JavaScript or TypeScript, CSS, and a XAML-like XML markup. Start building your dream native mobile apps today. Use the NativeScript CLI for free or use NativeScript in Visual Studio with a Telerik platform subscription, which enables you to build iOS apps without the glowing Apple. Get started for free at Telerik.com slash NativeScript. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Our winner is from Glasgow. It's Craig oh. Nicole. Ah, congratulations, Craig. Yeah. Craig also happens to be registered for the Scottnet Rock show there. Nice. Although this show comes out after we're back from the tour. Or is it, this is actually while we're on the tour. Yeah, so we might be talking to him right now. Yeah. <laughs> or, or I've just talked to him. That's interesting. You guys in Scotland, I'm not sure you'd be talking to them this well. Oh, well. It might sound like a serialization. <laughs> you surprised how effective we communicate with, with Scotch in us. How did this chicken four glass marble with an orange flurry <laughs> surreptitiously rusty brick? Exactly. Serialization <laughs> drunkenness. Because the same thing. 99 is too many. Yep. Well, anyway, if you know uh, what we just did there is we gave a Telerik DevCraft collection, a big pile of awesome from Telerik to Craig Nicole from Glasgow. And if you don't know what we're doing, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big get free stuff button. You answer a few questions. You join the .net rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And, of course, it's your turn, guys. You've done this before. I want to see if you've got anything new that you would buy with $5,000. Anthony? Ah, uh, great question. Um, I'm still geeking out on IoT for, the, uh, for my place here on the farm. All right. And nice. so, you know, like I've been talking to my next-door neighbor who actually built uh, components for the Apollo mission. And, wow. um, yeah, yeah, he's a really interesting guy. And uh, so I asked him, hey, could you help me build a uh, timer uh, for the lights in my chicken coop? Because it's winter here at the moment. Um, the chickens need a certain amount of light in the day to mm. lay. And so I was like, hey, look, this thing just needs to turn on at like 4 a.m. or whatever else. And he's like, okay, cool, cool. And then he comes back to me and he's like, okay, 
if we build in the capability of knowing where on the planet we are at the moment, you know, we can start taking into account sunrise and sunset times to work out like how much extra daylight and it can graduate, you know, the length of time as mm. we, as we reach the longest day, shortest day and all this stuff and stuff. And so we've been totally geeking out on that. And so we've even talked about like tracking, uh, chickens laying habits by, you know, if they've got like an RF, ID thing on their legs um, <laughs> and when they're going in and out of the coop and all sorts of interesting things. Instrumented chickens. That's it. Instrumented chickens. Now, the only problem I ha- having run down the line of keeping track of day and night cycles via the almanac approach, let's call it that. And then you can get into, well, what do we do during solar eclipses too? So that we make sure it doesn't get dark then. Yeah. Is the weather effects. Yeah. So, you know, in some ways, it's like just measure how bright it is outside. And if it's not bright enough and you haven't had enough hours of light, turn on the light. Exactly. And so there's a lot of things that you can do here. I remember the first prototype uh, we built of this, we, we turned the light on. And because it's LEDs, you know, we both basically went blind. And, um, <laughs> and so the uh, so what we decided is, OK, we're going to have to turn these lights up a, a little bit at a time. Yeah. And, um, and so just even things like that. Uh, it, it's really interesting when you start working with, uh, trying to interact with the physical world. Well, and one of the ch- challenges you have with LEDs is they don't dim it particularly well and they don't shift spectrum. Well, the ones I have just installed in my house do that really, really well. They shift spectrum? I don't know what shifting spectrum is, but as they dim, they change color. Right. So, I mean, and that's just getting back to how humans are wired, right? right? As, as we lose light because the sun is going down, it gets more orange. Yep. Yeah. There's, there's five or six different settings on these new light bulbs that I just installed in my house and I love them. Yeah. They get more orange as they, uh, as they as dim. You dim them. All right. Nick, it's your turn. Five grand. What are we buying? Well, I'm pretty well provisioned at the moment. So what I think I might do is save that money for the Microsoft Give campaign, which happens around October, November every year. Uh, for every dollar that a Microsoft employee gives to a charity, Microsoft matches. And above that, my my direct team, my manager is so into this into this giving and giving back to the community that he doubles whatever the employee gives before the Microsoft match. So it effectively quadruples. That. So I might take my five grand and wait and give it at the right moment to turn it into 20 grand of, of charitable donation. That is awesome, sir. Yeah. Now I've answered this question three times before. So I've already spent 15 grand before I got charitable. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you thought he was acting out of goodwill, you know, but, but there's, there's a little goodwill in there. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, um, one thing that I, mentioned earlier on anthony and you alluded to the chickens and stuff that you actually have a a a farm where you're a sustainable farm one that Mm -hmm. i read about in um the type of farm i read about in uh was that michael pollan's book yeah yeah so it's interesting all the the chickens and part of the way this the, the we try and operate the farm is uh mimicking nature and so for instance uh part of the way that that would work is let's say we have had cows and we don't at the moment. Um, first, you'd have the cows rotating around. You don't right. ever have them in the one spot permanently. Yeah. And as they rotate around the property, they're kind of spreading their manure and their waste and whatever else around mm-hmm. the property. And then after that, if you if you have sheep, you kind of send the sheep in after them 
And it turns out the cows eat a different part of the grass than the sheep do. Mm -hmm. And so as the sheep come through, they help uh, with the diversity of like the grasses and pr uh, promoting that. Mm. And then after you send the sheep through, you send the chickens through, which uh, end up getting the rest of what's left with the grass and they manage any of the bugs and helping spread all the manure and all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. And so we try and have a similar sort of system where, you know, everything's constantly moving around the farm. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's the omnivore's dilemma. And it, even, mm -hmm. it even gets into how cow hooves break the soil. Yep. And, and which, which helps with, uh, with, uh, renitrification. And then they, and how the chickens manipulate, uh, cow poop as well to manage <laughs> the bugs and to, yeah. um, to encourage again better fertilization. I guess you got to have yeah. a lot of land to make that work, right? Because you can only rotate. If you have four acres, you can only rotate <laughs> three times before you got to do something with that land. Th that is true, and you know you need a certain amount of acreage even for a couple of cows. Yeah. Um, but before doing this, I never thought I'd be so obsessed with uh, trying to figure out waste management. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. It's in the end, it's all about the poop, right? Yep. In the end. <laughs> <laughs> Wah, All right, let's wah, talk. Wah. Let's talk about the new client. There's a lot of features in there that we may or may not have talked about. So I think the big first thing about the the new client that people will notice is we've separated out. So we've traditionally always had the HUD bar, the little bar across the bottom that gives you your heads up display, and you click one button and we pop open into kind of what Anthony and I refer to as the lower third. Yeah, and we take up the little bottom section of your website. And what we see when we watch users use Glimpse is there's a lot of stretching that lower third. You, you make it taller, you make it shorter, you make it taller, you make it shorter. And uh, it's also a very constrained space to present some of this curated UX, right? Where we want to get a little bit more visual with the data that we're showing as opposed to just dumping out a table. So what we're looking at doing for version two, and this is available now in beta one, is HUD will stay there as it always has. But when you click on that button, instead of taking up the lower third of your screen, we're going to pop open to a new window right, uh, or a new tab. And this is kind of what, uh, if, if you pay attention to like the Chrome dev tools, that's starting to become the default and you can dock it back in if you want to. But so many developers have large monitors or two monitors now that we feel like we can take up that extra screen real estate as long as it provides lots of benefit. Well, I got to think the big thing is that the page itself now still looks normal and I can work on the instrumentation. Yes, the page looks normal. You can see the instrumentation having enough real estate in our new full spa. It's a spa spa client means that we can make it really easy for users to switch between different requests to see their Ajax requests and responses to see what other users are doing on the system, all very naturally kind of flow and move through requests. Whereas in the past, it was quite clunky to switch and go look at a different Ajax request or look at a past request or something like that. And so now, now the whole UI paradigm just works a lot better. You know, one of the things I'm running into because I have so much screen space is that I'm playing with pages that are way bigger than what anybody else would actually use. Like, you, you it's like, I, I can't actually judge that this page looks right because I've just made it too wide. Nobody would have a, a, a page this wide on a normal screen. I mean, I think that problem is going to be addressed more and more coming coming up because now we're getting smart TVs and people are starting to have web browsers that are 72 inches on their living room. Which is crazy. Who would do that? 
<laughs> well, it's, and it's not the physical width so much as it, it's a 4K wide screen. It's 3,840 pixels wide. Yeah. Yeah. So we web developers, we went from desktop screens down to little tiny screens in our pockets to, you know, retina displays. And and now I think we're moving back in the opposite direction with these huge screens with lots and lots of pixels. So I I think we're not there yet. That curve, I don't think has taken over. But as those devices become more popular, I think that the problem you have, Richard, I think you'll start to see it go away. You know, the other option is you can grab the edge of your window and you can just move it over. Right. Things get smaller. Well, you know, there's the, sort of this truth of we got really hooked on high DPI screens. I mean, I think at some point we were getting close to 400 dots per inch on some of these screens. You just couldn't use them for anything because they were so they were microscopic. So there's this 40 inch 4K screen with 110 DPI so that you can actually use it in full resolution and take on all those pixels. It's just that now you make browser windows that are obnoxiously large. And it's also, it, let's face it, it's a hard problem to solve. Like, even though we have responsive websites and stuff like that, just trying to figure out the design of like doing something for a mobile that works for mobile and then sh- goes all the way up to the size monitor that you're talking about. Yeah. The difference in U- UX paradigm between the two is so great. Uh, it, it's, it's not a trivial problem for, you know, complex apps. And I don't want to go first worldy on this kind of problem. Oh, you've got too much screen space. Mm-hmm. But we are dealing with this is something Carl and I do in our keynote. We talk about this idea that really for the first time ever, as developers, we're working on machines that do not at all reflect what our customers are using in the field, especially when you talk about they're working on in browsers on their phones. You know, it's just that this disconnect between what the person that's actually going to use your app is going to use and what you built it on, it's never been as big as it is right now. Yep, that's right. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this idea that some people, uh, some dev shops I've heard do like latency Mondays, where on Monday, <laughs> eh, everybody is required to turn down their bandwidth, right? The, maybe yeah. maybe it happens at a, at a network level on each individual machine, and they're running 3G to feel the pain of what yeah, the user is feeling. such a good idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, uh, Etsy they they do something interesting. They use they use web page tests to generate loading videos of their site on mobile devices at all different bandwidth connections, so 3G, 2G, you know, standard internet cable. And they actually have a video on big screen TVs that just plays and repeat over and over and over again in in the room that the developers work in so they can look up and be like yeah, that looks really painful. So it's always kind of in their face. Watching your page slowly render in front of you. Yeah. We, I think it's important to remember, you know, what, what the devices and what the hardware and the software that we're using as developers are and, and who we're shipping to. Yeah. 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 Empathy. Empathy is good. Yeah. Just, and just being able to see it. I love that Wedge Page Test has that little video option where they literally play back. This is what the rendering looked like. And it, that gets into real subtleties about how you order stuff inside your web page to have a better render experience, not just wait for the finish. Yeah. Yeah. I've been going off on this little rant recently where I think I'll probably offend a lot of people. Uh, I think that the idea of a web designer is passe and it's, it's time to graduate that. And what we really need are web directors because anybody who's thinking about a page that's a static thing that you would like a magazine. You see it once and it's over is doing it wrong. It's, it's about a rectangle into which content flows in and out of mm. and how that content shows up and when it shows up and when it leaves is important. And that doesn't even necessarily mean animation, but it just means 
prioritizing content and understanding how HTTP works and how the things are going to load in. So the important content shows up first. And then, you know, 10 seconds later, you, you bring in, uh, you know, a, a social like button or something that's not as important and understanding what the user is actually after. Yeah. Director is a good term. Producer might be in closer term, but director in, uh, connotes action. Yeah, and it speaks to this idea of almost storyboarding the rendering of a page mm. and the evolution of a page as new requests are made, you know, in the SPA form or in the AJAX form. Yeah, exactly. And so there's much longer storyboards for SPA applications than there are for, you know, the, the traditional web apps where you, you kind of get a new storyboard on every click. But either way, these I think these things are really, we're starting to feel the pressure there to, to make those cleaner and well understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that it's it's sort of an interesting truth of just getting more of this, and I and I don't know what falls on Glimpse's level of responsibility there either. Uh, do you mean from like a debugging point of view? Yeah, or just an understanding. You know, you guys do dive into performance side of things, but I think you do a better job of sort of breaking down. Here's where your time was spent in a given rendering, including the server side as well as the client rendering. Yeah, so we've been talking a lot about like, okay, what can we do to service the client more? Because I think, you know, a lot of where our focus is and um, a, a lot of where our attention has been in the past has been a lot more on the server side of things. Um, and that's partly because, you know, a lot of the server frameworks are very defined uh, and fairly mature, so it's easier to develop diagnostics for. Um, but I do think that doing more for the browsers uh, to help complete the end to end picture, because reality is, is a request isn't just what happens on the server or isn't just what happens on the client. It's everything that happens from that first click on a hyperlink, you know, to over the network to the server, everything that happens on the server. The server might even make microservice requests for more data and then coming back over the network, rendering onto the client and then, you know, Ajax requests and whatever else happened from there. And I, I, I don't know of any really good tool that does all of that. And so one of our focuses has been is like, okay, well, how can we fill out that picture more? At the moment, Glimpse can tell you, hey, here's some Ajax requests that occurred. But I, I think one thing that we'd really like to do is say, okay, well, if you're using a framework like Angular or React or, you know, whatever it happens to be, you know, here's what happened before the Ajax request. And then here's what happened afterwards. Okay. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the, you clicked on this button that triggered, you know, this action in the client side framework, which triggered that Ajax request, which if you want to look at the server, you can. But then when that came back, that ended up using this template to render on this portion of the screen. Um, and we really don't have that in a, in a really good complete story at the moment. Uh, there's point tools that do some of that. Um, but I, I think we can bring together the story a lot more than what we're doing at the moment. Did you guys use React.js in Glimpse? Yeah, we did. So it was an interesting um, process that we went through when trying to decide what technologies we'd use for the Glimpse client. Uh, I remember I started out by looking at, you know, various components that, uh, that make up the, an app. Like, hey, what did we want to use for build? Uh, as in building the project. What did we want right. to use for packing, you know, the view and whatever else? And it was like I literally wrote in a GitHub issue, um, you know, like AngularJS, you know, Ember, React. And so it was a process of going through and looking at the various components and seeing what would be a good fit for us. And it actually turns out for what we do with Glimpse, 
uh, React was a really good solution for us, yeah. and you know it's paying off uh, big time uh, at the moment because when we st- first started prototyping the Glimpse, the new Glimpse client, React was in its infancy, so it was yeah. a little bit of a bet. Um, but that's that's really paying off for us. It seems like a perfect fit for what you guys are doing. I mean, it's essentially what you're doing, right? Yeah. So when you think about like the different components that we render onto the screen, uh, how that interacts, also the the, the uh, semi real time nature of the data that we're loading into Glimpse, because mm-hmm. uh, what actually happens is, and it, it doesn't appear like this to the user, but on the server, the, uh, a request is made up of let's say fifty messages. Those messages flow into the Glimpse client in real time. So if a request was particularly slow you'd actually look at a request and you'd see the data filling in. And trying to manage that sort of state uh, in, in traditional frameworks is, is really difficult. Whereas in React, you can kind of say, well, here's my model, render. Here's yeah. my model, render. Right. It's, you know, and you don't worry about like, has this property updated or did it get removed or did I add something or remove something from the list? It's really good at taking like a data model and a template and then working out what's the delta that I need to do to get the screen to where it needs to go uh, in terms of what's rendered. Um, and for our model and how we operate, that's, that's exactly what we need. React seems to elicit a really strong reaction from some people. Like, there's a lot of folks that really don't like it. They have a bad yeah. reaction. Shall we say? Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think most of the people that I found react that way. And, and let's face it, you can have any technology and there's going to be zealots, you know, anywhere sure. on the, uh, you know, in any side of the fence. And this seems to elicit more than most. I'm just kind of yes, surprised by that. I, I would agree with that. And, and with react, I think where most people start to get upset is the fact that, you know, the con, in previous frameworks, the concept of a template was kind of like a .html file where you literally had like a handlebars or mustache template mm. and, you know, it received a model and, you know, you got as much logic out of that as possible and, you know, that thing did the rendering. Whereas in React, it kind of has this um, concept of more of like you could even think about it as a merging of a view and an action to make mm-hmm. like this thing that they call a view component which, you know, is the, has the template built into it. So literally in JavaScript, you, you actually have your template. Um, which to my mind of thinking about this problem, you know, I much prefer thinking about it that way and much prefer having those two pieces together. So rather than having a view and then having a template in the separate file and trying to keep the two in sync, you literally got the two together in the same file. Um, and typically if you follow that model with React, um, that ends up being a .jsx file. Um, and I think that's where people get really upset because hmm. you're literally writing like HTML literals inside of um, your JavaScript file. Um, now, you don't have to do that, but typically that's where people get really upset because, um, you know, they're like, hey, no, the template should be abstracted out. Um, and, you know, it, I found it quite liberating going the other way and saying, well, does it have to be? Like, what yeah. do you buy when you do that? Right. Well, and I think it's people fought this battle to get that separation of concerns not that long ago, and they're not quite over the war yet. Yeah. And and to be honest, like, you're 100% right. And when you look at, let's say, like, classic ASP, where you'd have, like, a um, – like uh, the, it, it's evaluating the tap page top to bottom and people would be putting all sorts of functions and, you know, all that sort of stuff in there. 
you know, I think that's what people were rebelling against when they thought, okay, let's, let's abstract out templates. But mm-hmm. I think when you look at this model, one of the big differences is the fact that it's declarative. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, it promotes much smaller components. Well, it promotes components, period. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I yeah. Think. That's, that's the distinction. Yes. Much exactly. needed. Yeah. I think the other point is separation of concerns is different than separation of technology. So you're writing mm-hmm. JavaScript to drive your UI and HTML to drive your UI. Wait a minute. That's the same concern <laughs> in two different technologies. <laughs> yeah, right. So let's put the same concern together and not worry about the fact that it's different technologies. And it's funny to me because we've been doing this for a long time, right? We took something that looks like SQL and dropped it into C Sharp and called it Link. And everybody's okay with it, right? There's yeah. a select yeah. keyword there. There's a from keyword it's there. It's the context. It's the, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, it's the same case, separation of, of concerns, I get, but separation of technology for no point that doesn't really necessarily ring true to me. So guys, Glimpse is uh, open source under the Apache 2.0 license. Do you take pull requests? Do you uh, ask for help? Do you need help? Do you want our listeners to sort of get in there and help out? So it's interesting. We recently, uh, with the advent of Glimpse v2, uh, we've actually shifted to MIT license. Oh. Um, so Glimpse v1 was Apache 2 and, uh, Glimpse v2 is MIT. Okay. Uh, part of the reason for that, um, was MIT turns out is a much more liberal license. And when we were looking at, uh, compatibility of licenses, which turns out to be a big thing, uh, if we start looking to talk about like, uh, Node.js integration and various things like that. Um, MIT is, is much more compatible with like, Hey, we want to share back this technology to the Node community. Mm. You know, let's do that. Uh, it turns out it's a lot easier than that, but open source licenses is a whole nother discussion. Um, but, uh, yes, to, to answer your question, we definitely are after people who are interested in c- contributing. And it turns out that tr- when you try and build diagnostics tool for tools for a platform, um, your level of understanding of that platform uh, increases mm. dramatically. Yeah. I so bet. let's say you're wanting to get your head around ASP.NET 5 or, you know, even cl- more client side stuff, you know, definitely reach out to us. And, you know, we've got various issues that you can get, um, jump into uh, or, you know, hey, look, propose something new, you know, and work your way up to, uh, to, to developing bigger and bigger components. Uh, because reality is, is this stuff is used by a lot of people. Awesome. Sure. And it's fantastic stuff, and we just can't say enough good things about it. Thank you Thank so you much. Guys. Thanks for being with us today, guys. Thanks for having us. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. 
Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a-